we're talking about creators, we're talking about innovators coming up with technologies that, that we just can barely imagine. Hi everyone, this is The Optimistic Outlook, and I'm Barbara Humpton, the CEO of Siemens USA. I'm really glad that you've tuned in for this episode on manufacturing. You know, one of the things about the COVID-19 pandemic is that it's really helping us see manufacturing in a different light. We've seen that manufacturing isn't just vital to our economy, producing what we need when we need it. It's actually been critical in bringing the nation's response to this crisis. When we think about adequate supplies of PPE, uh, when we think about uh, the, the critical supplies needed in healthcare, you realize we can't supply those things without manufacturing. It's a national issue. And that's why for this episode, I wanted to invite someone who can help us really see the state of manufacturing across America. Jay Timmons serves as the president and CEO of the National Association of Manufacturers. It's the largest manufacturing association in the United States, and he's also chairman of the board of the Manufacturing Institute. That's NAM's workforce and education partner. Like Jay, I've had the pleasure of being appointed by the U.S. Department of Commerce to the American Workforce Policy Advisory Board. And you'll hear from Jay during this episode about the opportunities in manufacturing and how we inspire more people to choose manufacturing as a career. Jay, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Thanks a lot, Barbara. You know, prior to the pandemic, the U.S. manufacturing was clearly in a position of strength. How have manufacturers adapted to the crisis, and what's the state of the manufacturing community today? Well, you know, manufacturing is still extraordinarily strong. And, and if, if I had to say 10 years from now, look back on this, um, I would say that the pandemic has probably put us even in a in a stronger position than we ever anticipated. And, and I, I thought about the title I'm thinking about, rather the title of your, your podcast. And I think one of the things that makes, makes me so optimistic among all the difficult news that we're seeing these days is the way that manufacturers have, have really risen to, to this challenge. Um, you know, I think about some of the companies that have completely revamped their production entirely to make masks or to make face shields or, or even to make ventilators. Um, we've got distillers who are making hand sanitizers, and many of them are still making hand sanitizers today. Uh, there's a story, I know you know uh, Drew Greenblatt, who runs Marlin Steel in Baltimore. And, and for those who, who don't know Marlin, it's a small company that makes wire baskets. You know, they got a call on a Friday, I think it was in March, and they had a, an emergency request to make wire baskets for test tubes for COVID-19 testing. Now, they had never made test tube racks before, but their whole team volunteered and they worked on it all weekend to get it done and then they shipped it out by Sunday afternoon. That's just an example of the kind of stories that we're hearing all across the country. But I think it's also important to say that we're never gonna recover from this recession until we get the community spread of the virus under control. Um, you ask about kind of where we are today. We lost about 1.3 million manufacturing jobs between February and April, the, the most difficult economic period. Our chief economist, though, projects we're going to be down about a net of 400,000 jobs by the end of the year. So that, if that 
bears bears out, that's going to be an improvement of almost a million jobs. But it all depends on whether we can get our economy open safely and as broadly as possible. So it's a tough road ahead, but I feel pretty confident that manufacturers are going to be the ones that that lead us out of this recession. I think, you know, America is looking to you for leadership on this because you're absolutely right. And there are so many directions we can go with this conversation. Um, let me start just sort of breaking down into phases uh, what we've been going through. It's been inspiring to see so many manufacturers respond to the needs of their communities, convert their operations, et cetera. And then we're in this mode of let's get into recovery. Um, you know, let's see if we can get the virus under control and get back to work. Thanks so much for your for your support and the messages you've been sending out about simple things like wearing masks. And then, of course, we think about reinvention. So, uh, you know, where will manufacturing go in the future? Um, let me let, let me start with that question of just the response and recovery. You know, manufacturers themselves have been absolutely critical uh, during the pandemic, sometimes stepping in to close gaps in supply chains where we might have had a, um, a dependence on someplace else in the world. Um, but instead, people have stepped in and, and, and stepped up to meet demand in the U.S. How have they kept their own employees safe? Well, um, as I said, when, when we started to see this coming from Asia um, and then Europe, manufacturers were really kind of driving the conversation about what was necessary to keep employees safe at any facility, really. Um, but manufacturers, you know, we, we, we adapt quickly. We respond quickly. Um, and so what was happening is uh, we saw this need for PPE, so masks, gloves. We didn't really know the extent of it, as we all know, as we look back on this. We didn't know how the virus spread. So contact, um, uh, surface contact was a, a big concern. We went into overdrive, quite frankly, on sanitization procedures in so many of our facilities. Um, we encouraged the use of, we're well, not encouraged, we required the use of masks, sometimes face shields. Um, I was really pleased with a lot of the examples I saw on lines that, that assembled uh, like plexiglass uh, barriers between workers that might be uh, either to closer than six feet or you know within that range. They shut down a lot of their public facilities. So you think of lunch rooms and break rooms. Um, they encouraged uh, uh, or they required um, uh, meals or, or breaks to be taken in, uh, in automobiles or, or outside at distance, you know, at a, an appropriate distance. The thing that we've really had a, a problem with, and I, I you know, we, we've talked about this over and over again at the NAM, um, and thanks for recognizing the, the, the campaigns that, were, um, that we've launched, but it's really all about, and I'm going to hold this up again, it's really all about a face mask. Um, this is an NAM branded face mask. This is my fight too. The reason we chose that is because this is literally the responsibility of every single individual in this country. It's not just employers. Uh, so uh, we we jumped in very, very quickly. Um, we're not just in the public service announcement business, although we have been releasing these ads to get more and more people to wear face coverings so that we can ultimately get our economy open while protecting 
essential manufacturing workers and, and all Americans. Um, but again, a manufacturer can do everything right on the shop floor. But if the worker goes out in the community, if they're irresponsible, uh, where people are not taking pandemic the pandemic seriously, then and they're not wearing a face covering or social distancing, they could easily get sick. They could even be asymptomatic and spread this internally. We know all those things. We've heard them all. There are all kinds of unfortunate social media conspiracy theories that are going on about how this really isn't all that dangerous. We know how dangerous it is. This isn't hard. So everybody just has to do the right thing, either in the workplace or outside of the workplace. Yeah, if we ever had any doubt that manufacturing is part of our critical infrastructure, you know, coronavirus has totally erased any doubt there because we've seen how critical manufacturers are to just supporting our overall response and recovery. Well, sure. I mean, let's just start with the basics. Who makes PPE? <laughs> right? Yeah. Who's making these masks? Who's making the gloves? Who's making the face shields? Well, those are manufacturers. It's been really um, rather interesting to see how uh, some operations have converted. We, we've been able in this country to ramp up the production of PPE, um, but we've got to keep that up. Um, we've been trying to help manufacturers identify opportunities to to adapt their operations and and change the their lines to be able to produce PPE. And when we get to the point of of the need, we actually have it right now in some areas for producing medical supplies. I mean, think of the glass vials that we're going to need for for literally billions of of doses of the vaccine or the or the rubber stoppers or the syringes, um, all of those things. Um, we've been trying to work with manufacturers to figure out ways to adapt their operations to to meet the needs that are out there. And at the same time, to help understand that there could possibly be assistance from the government um, to help retool those operations. Now, I'll say this, we've we've worked very closely with the administration, with FEMA and others um, to not only identify the source of PPE, but to try to provide some guidance to the government agencies about what operations could be retrofitted. There is something that um, I think some folks have probably heard of called the Defense Production Act. And it was designed for this very type of an emergency, although I don't think anybody would have imagined this, this exact type of emergency, but it could be used to provide government grants as an incentive for manufacturers to retool their operations. Now, I will say this, and I've expressed this to the administration because I think it is it is wrong in many instances, the way that it has been applied at this point. It's been deployed more as a weapon rather than an incentive, you know, a, a, a carrot rather than, or a stick rather than a carrot. And I think that we really need to maybe think about this a little differently um, as the administration continues to think about ways to encourage manufacturers to, to retool their operations. We, we had a huge need for PPE. We were identifying um, sources of, of PPE literally all around the world. During the, the major onset of this outbreak, we were getting it shipped to uh, hotspots like New York or Detroit. That need has not diminished. In fact, if anything, it's probably increasing. If we're looking at how do we open the economy up safely, it's not just a matter of pressing a start button. I wish it was, but it's not. 
it's a matter of everybody acting um, in a responsible and safe manner, which means everybody needs to wear a mask in public. Everybody needs to social distance. It's not a good idea. In fact, it's a horrible idea to go to parties or go to other um, events where they're, which can turn into a mass spreader event. It's unfortunate because we are a social um, we are a social species. Human beings are. We want to interact with others. Um, you know, we want to shake hands. We want to hug. Uh, but right now, for the good of the world, for the good of our economy, for the good of jobs uh, that people are losing by the hundreds of thousands every week, we need to all step up and we need to do the right thing. And manufacturers, to your point, have been producing the products that are needed. Now we just have to make sure people use them properly. For sure. Jay, interesting, you know, we we talk about how critical these manufacturers have been during the response and recovery. I'm I'm also interested in how manufacturers are looking at reinvention. I mean, we've heard from market segments all across America that going virtual overnight was quite surprisingly successful. And I'm curious what you're hearing from manufacturers about how virtual tools are helping them get jobs done. And is this going to be part of a a transformation? Have we, um, as you've looked at this as a a real forcing function for so many things, is digitalization going to be one of those um, benefits that we'll see in the future? I've heard from from manufacturers uh, of all sizes, but how are we going to continue to advance this digital transformation in the future. Now, part of that, um, because of the immediate end to everything that we knew and and the way we knew it, or perhaps pause, let's just say, there was a period where I think everybody was trying to determine, well, are we going to spend the money that that we should be spending to improve our operations, to, to create better digital and virtual opportunities? I don't think there's any turning back. And if anything, I think it's probably going to um, be a catalyst for even even more who maybe hadn't been thinking about it. Yeah, this is exciting, and it, and it, I think we've got an opportunity here. You've been a loud proponent of the jobs of the future, and as we make this digital transition, I know a lot of people have been worried that you know the robots are going to take over our jobs. Um, I remember NAM sharing with us last year that the number of open jobs in manufacturing was something on the order of 750,000, right? maybe even higher before the pandemic hit, and recognizing that we're going to end up with a bit of a, a net deficit um, uh, in jobs as we go now. Still, it won't be long before the talent question comes up again. So I'm curious how you're thinking about talent development and where do you think we can be looking right now? How can we bring people into the manufacturing environment as the pandemic subsides and, and we get into our new normal? Well, um, you said it's not going to be long before we're talking about the talent issue again. We're, we actually are talking about it right now. Uh, it is fascinating to me uh, when, when folks talk about the 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 world being taken over by, by robots, the myth of that. Well, it is a myth. Um, but hopefully we can break that myth, be, you know, be myth busters, if, if you will, in, um, uh, in getting the real message out. Uh, about a year and a half ago, when, when we could do these things, I was visiting manufacturing companies in various states all over the country and as part of our state of manufacturing tour. 
And, and we specifically asked manufacturing employees about uh, the, the robot myth that, that you first mentioned. Um, it really didn't matter if they were making candy in California or if they were manufacturing heavy equipment in North Carolina. All of them said two things. First was that technology and automation took care of work that was just repetitive or risky. And, and that's good for everybody. And then secondly, those who had been on the job for 30 or 40 years, they said that they learned more in the last five years than they had in their entire career previous to that point. And they loved that. They loved the things that are changing and improving and, and becoming more exciting, quite frankly. Um, I know that, that you all at Siemens know this as well as anybody. You're, you're leaders in the space, whether it's new technology and robotics or cobots or AR and VR and 3D printing, um, you all have, have, have been such a leader in, in changing how, how we make things and, and what we make. Um, but that doesn't mean that we're going to need less people. And that's, that's the message that I hope everybody understands. And you're right. Before the pandemic, we had a huge number of jobs that we couldn't fill. Um, you and I both work with the, um, um, the White House Workforce Board. Uh, trying to figure out how we can attract more people into the manufacturing workforce. And it, it really is a difficult message to get folks to understand that there are multiple pathways to, uh, to career success. I mean, when I was growing up, we were told, you got to go to college, you got to go to college. And, and I'm reminded of that uh, very famous Dunkin' Donuts, I believe it was, commercial where the guy was saying, maybe it's not Duncan, it's definitely a donut shop where somebody's saying, gotta make the donuts, gotta make the donuts. And I think about that often when I talk to young people about whether they wanna to go to college or not. So many of them simply don't want to do that. They want to start their careers. They wanna get their hands on something. They wanna start making things. They wanna start contributing. And so perhaps some technical school or community college, um, credits, maybe that's all they need. Shoot, maybe they can go right from high school. The apprenticeship program that you all um, have, have worked on and that so many other manufacturers have worked on, you know, either that model or, or call it something else, those things can be very, very beneficial in an earning and learning environment to getting people into, uh, into the manufacturing workforce. So we right now have still, believe it or not, about 300,000 jobs that we can't fill because we don't have folks with the right skills. In the middle of this terrible unemployment, in the middle of all these jobs that we've actually lost in the sector, there's still a core of, of jobs that we can't fill because of those technological skills that so many need. So one of the ways that we're doing this is, uh, one of the ways we're trying to attract more people into the, into the sector is uh, through various programs through the Manufacturing Institute. Uh, Manufacturing Day, one of those, you all have been extraordinarily involved in that, opening your facilities to students to see how things work. Uh, this year, you're doing it virtually. Thank you so much for that. Uh, it's the first Friday in October, and it continues throughout the month. Uh, so that's number one. And, and we hope to, as we've done in the past, attract literally hundreds of thousands of students into uh, manufacturing facilities, again, virtually this year, uh, to help them make up their minds and inspire them about 
uh, careers in in uh, in manufacturing. Another critical program that we have, and you know it very well as well, the STEP Women's Initiative. Uh, and STEP, of course, stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Production. And women, as we know, are very underrepresented in manufacturing. And this program works to change that. And the Manufacturing Institute that runs the program, their focus is both on equipping women in manufacturing to excel in their careers, but also in helping them to set an example for other women and bring them into to manufacturing. So there are a lot of different programs. There's others that we could talk about, but those are two really impactful ones. And by the way, I remember your keynote at last year's Step Ahead Awards. Um, that's where we recognized about 100 honorees and 30 emerging leaders. And uh, it's, such a, it's such a fulfilling and moving event. So thank you. It was an energizing night. I loved it. I loved every minute of it. And, and actually, Carolyn Lee, the, the president of the Manufacturing Institute, uh, as you know, uh, we, I interviewed her uh, last year. And she shared with us that if we can close the gender gap in manufacturing by 10%, we can close the overall skills gap in manufacturing by 50%. Think about that. So, you know, kudos to Carolyn, what she's doing. I know that you're on her board and, and they are the, an absolutely essential arm for NAM um, for really addressing the skills needs. But, but there's one other aspect to this, which is, you know, in addition to a healthcare crisis, a financial crisis, we've also been experiencing a societal crisis. And I'm wondering what America's manufacturers are doing in the area of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, this is not a new problem. Um, this is one that has just really come to the fore in recent months. Um, Shortly after George Floyd was killed, uh, there were so many um, demands for for social justice, um, for recognizing the um, uh, the systemic racism that existed in our nation, um, and I'm really proud, and I'm proud to share with you and the folks that are listening to this podcast that the executive committee of the NIM Board of Directors, um, they chose to act. Um, they did not act with simply words. That would have been easy. And I know that many of us have shared our sentiments um, about the very difficult situation that our country found itself in. What I'm most proud of is that they adopted a pledge for action. And it's an 11-point commitment for, and it's a plan for manufacturers to, to advance justice, to advance equality and opportunity for black people and for all people of color. And the thing that was most striking about this pledge that it, again, it wasn't just a statement that racial justice and equal opportunity are important because they are. The pledge recognized that we all have a responsibility as businesses and business leaders to drive change. So that means, for example, um, there was a there's part of the pledge that said we'll work to improve and increase representation of black people and people of color at all levels of our companies and our organizations, whether those are entry level or mid-level or senior levels. Uh, there was another uh, part of it that said that we will take on the responsibility to expand education and training 
scholarship opportunities in the manufacturing industry for black people and people of all color. And it, it also talked about removing barriers and opening doors to modern manufacturing careers for those that are inside prisons and for those reentering society. The, the members of the executive committee, first and foremost, adopted this unanimously. And they did so because it's the right thing to do. It's also the right thing for a business because a more diverse and inclusive uh, workplace is just a more successful workplace. Research um, that bears that out time and time again. And as a nation, we're, we're not going to reach our full potential if we're leaving diverse segments of our population on the sidelines. And I'm really proud of the NAM uh, leadership for stepping up and recognizing that. Fantastic. I'm proud to be affiliated with the organization myself. Uh, Jay, you know, it's interesting. What I've really enjoyed um, doing with each of my guests is uh, to get a sense of how they see the future here in this Optimistic Outlook podcast. Paint for us a picture of what the future holds in the area of manufacturing. I would like to be able to prognosticate all of the things that manufacturing will be responsible for in the future. Um, but I don't think we can. I think it's limitless. I think that when you have a challenge like this challenge that has so gripped our world, the entire world, and forced us to reevaluate literally everything about our lives, our communities, our businesses, our governments, how we interact not only with other people, but with other countries, um, we are going to be called upon to, to invent and, and develop new technologies. Um, the, dig the digitization of American business and manufacturing is going to, I believe, just explode over the course of the next few years and certainly decades. Um, that's all going to lead to high paying jobs. Those jobs are going to give people a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning. Meaning, um, We're talking about that that builds a, a stronger U.S. economy that frankly benefits everyone. If you think about manufacturing data, um, every dollar that we invest in manufacturing, it generates another two and three quarters dollars worth of activity for the economy. So we're talking about creators, we're talking about innovators coming up with technologies that, that we just can barely imagine right now. And I'll, I'll come back to vaccines. A few months ago, we knew very little about COVID-19. Now we've got very promising vaccine candidates that could save millions of lives. And it happened really quickly, warp speed, as the administration has called for. That's the pace of change I believe that's possible when when we are focused and when we harness the ingenuity of manufacturing in the United States. So when you think about that, if we invest in technology and people, there's really no stopping modern manufacturing and there's no stopping the United States of America. And that's why that, that's why we had launched our creators wanted um, mobile tour last year, but it was stopped because of the pandemic. And we, we, we adapted and we became creators respond instead. But as soon as this is over, as soon as we can interact again as a people, we're going to get that tour on the road. We're going to go to, into disadvantaged communities. We're going to go into uh, rural areas. We're going to go into to suburban areas. And we're going to make sure that everybody understands, especially young people, 
what modern, modern manufacturing is all about and that the future is absolutely limitless and we want them to be a part of that exciting opportunity. Quite a vision. This could be the economic engine that really propels us to greater prosperity. Jay, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been great to talk to you. Thank you, Barbara. It's good to be here. And thank you very much for all the great work that Siemens does to help advance manufacturing in the United States. Please follow us on social media and on your favorite podcasting platform. Thank you for tuning in.